My name is William Corliss and this is the Workplace Podcast. Brought to you in association with Yellowwood, providers of executive coaching, corporate training and facilitation. Your external learning and development partner. Each week we focus on a different aspect of the workplace. We hear from guest speakers who will be subject matter experts, who I believe are incredibly talented at what they do. These experts will give you a different perspective and insight to work life, with the aim of empowering you to take a different path to success in all aspects of work life. These perspectives will include career and personal success, leadership, high performance teams, and creating a better work life culture in your organization. Yellowwood, take a different path to success with your career, team, and organization. Welcome to the Workplace Podcast. Our guest today is Deborah Grayson Regal. She's a keynote speaker, executive coach, and consultant who teaches leadership communication for Wharton Business School, Duke Corporate Education, Columbia Business School's Women Leadership Program, and the Beijing International MBA Program at Peking University. She writes for the Harvard Business Review, Inc., Psychology Today, Forbes, and Fast Company, and has been featured in Bloomsburg. Business Week, Oprah Magazine, and the New York Times. She is the author of Overcoming Overthinking, 36 Ways to Tame Anxiety for Work, School, and Life, and consults and speaks for clients including Amazon, BlackRock, Google, Kraft Heinz, PepsiCo, and the United States Army. And you can find her online at www.debragraceandregal.com. Debra, very welcome to the Workplace Podcast. I'm excited to be here with you today. And I'm, I'm delighted to have you. And our topic today is gossip. Why we gossip at work and what we can do instead. A very interesting topic. And where I came across you first was reading that Harvard Business Review article about gossip in the workplace. So gossip, why do we do it? Well, we do it for good reasons and for bad reasons. So let's take a little bit of a balanced approach, right? So, you know, gossip is a pro-social tool. We have been using it historically as a way to build relationships, a way to build social bonds. Um, It can create a sense of in-group and out-group, which as you can imagine, uh, when we were out on, you know, in the wilds trying to defend ourselves, knowing who was in your in-group was important. Now in today's workplace, distinguishing between in-group an out group can feel a little bit dangerous as well. So it's something, gossip is something that we started for lots of good reasons and still certainly has some social social benefits as well. Um, and in a moment, I'll talk about what some of the harms are. But, you know, one of the things that, that occurs to me is um, I'm, I'm actually curious to know how gossip has been impacted during the pandemic when we're not, you know, coming up to somebody's desk and being like, oh, my goodness, did you hear about Dave? Right. We don't have that. So all of those are either happening one on one or individually or not at all. Yeah, I think a lot of it is actually happening to WhatsApp groups. You know, oh, these prior okay. or one to one conversations. This is what I'm hearing from different clients. Yeah. Um, at different people I'm speaking to. Yeah. So I think gossip is rife. And sometimes it's kind of, it's like you're, the people might approach you as in you're the person in the know. There seems to be a sense of that juicy gossip or you have a certain amount of power because you're the, the go-to person for the gossip. Is that one Absolutely. of the reasons why we do it? Yeah, well, and, and you know, you raise a, a really interesting point. I, I think that in the last year and a half, right, that's actually something that many of us missed out on, right? So if we were the person in a position of power, that was a loss for us. If we were the go-to, you know, gossip person, that's actually what's called an intangible loss, that, that sense of power. And for those who had their communities uh, where they would talk about, other people, that that's a loss of community, a loss of belonging, all kinds of losses. Um, and we also, in addition to, you know, good reasons, good pro-social reasons, social capital, get the juices flowing reasons, some of the times we engage in gossip at work as a way of avoiding feedback, right? So if I am talking about you to somebody else, 
It means that I am not talking to you about the thing that I would like you to perhaps do differently. That brings us then to the harms then. We heard this from a, a friend, Brendan, of mine before to say, listen, if that person's gossiping to you, you know, what makes you think they're not gossiping about you to someone else? Oh, you, that's actually something my mom taught me when I was very young. She basically said, if you meet somebody and they're talking about a third person, you should assume that as soon as you are out of there, you are the person that they are talking about. So I was, I was raised with that understanding really early on. And, you know, I want to talk about what some of the harms are of talking about people rather than to them. And I also think it's important to establish a a definition of gossip, right? Yeah. So the definition of gossip that I cited in my article, which I did not come up with, it is based in, you know, it is based in good kosher research. The the definition of, of gossip is two or more people having an evaluative conversation about a third person who is not present. So I think all of those elements are really important, right? There's a bunch of people, two or more. The conversation is evaluative in some nature, whether it's about their work, whether it's about their personality, whether it's about what they're wearing, and it's about somebody who is not there. And so when you think about it, are there some benefits to gossip? Sure. And a lot of those sound pretty harmful, that there is somebody there who is not able to speak up for themselves, not able to defend themselves. They are being evaluated behind their back and not to their back or their front. And um, so when I think about the relationship between gossip and feedback, my belief is that the more we engage in cultures that are strong in giving and receiving feedback, the less evaluative conversations there will be behind somebody's back. And you use that word evaluative, it's, it's a bit soft. Some people could see it as judgmental, which is maybe a harder way to say it. You know, you're judgmental of others. I think it's easier for our listeners than to hear it as evaluative, and I think it's quite it's great that you're using those words. It gives us a different way to actually allow that message to be heard, which is is quite powerful coming from you. Yeah, well, and and you know, as you're describing that, William, the thing that strikes me is how little of that kind of gossip, if we if we go with that, you know, definition of gossip, how little of it is, hey, William, did you hear about Jamie? Isn't she awesome? I mean. My goodness, you know, what she was able to do in that client meeting, she just blew the roof off. That was amazing, right? That is typically not the kind of gossip that we're having is that somebody is doing something amazing, performing in some, you know, unbelievable way. It really tends to be uh, negative judgment, to use your word, rather than positive judgment. So again, in terms of that then, so it's really about, is it people not having that direct conversation then with the other person about a behavior that they see or a decision that they made or the way they behaved or communicated? Absolutely. So some some of my favorite research, uh, as you can tell, I'm a little bit of a, a nerd about these topics, right? I love looking at the research about difficult conversations and feedback. And one of my favorite pieces of research is, is um, promotes the idea that the number one thing that people want more of from their people managers is negative feedback, right? Or constructive feedback. Here's what you need to do differently. And the number one thing that people managers don't want to do is give negative feedback. So you've got this tension here of people are saying, tell me how I can do a better job. And managers saying, oh, I don't want to have that conversation with you, which means that it is either not happening or it's happening through back channels. Um, and, you know, and I've worked with some organizations where people have have sued because they were let go, but never got the feedback along the way that that there were things they needed to change. And it's funny, eventually, I, I remember hearing a story a couple of years ago where there was real hurt with this person their manager avoided giving them difficult feedback for years. And then when they finally found out what the feedback was, they felt really hurt that that person couldn't bring up that subject with them. And they felt out they missed out in years of high performance and, you know, collaboration and really establishing uh, strong relationships. 
You're absolutely right, William. I mean, it's, it's, we choose self-protection, right? I don't, I don't want to be hurt. I don't want to hurt you. I don't want to have you uh, react in some way that I haven't prepared for. We choose that over the learning opportunity, the relationship building opportunity to, to protect ourselves. And you're absolutely right. There was so much missed opportunity there to develop trust, uh, to help somebody learn and grow, to invest in their career. And um, and I, I see this with the, the clients that I work with. I'm often debriefing 360 degree feedback reports for leaders who are often shocked Right. And and it's a double shock. So the first shock is, whoa, is this how people experience me? And the second shock is, what am I doing or not doing that has contributed to nobody telling me this before? Yeah. And it is that positive intention behind it. It's that self-protection. We feel like we're not able to do it. I'm just wondering if we were equipped with the tools to do it, what would life look like in in an organization then if we had those tools yeah well it would be tragic for me because i'd have no job uh yeah. but uh right if everybody were already me. trained and coached in this i would have to you know i'd have to become a chef or go to med school uh but uh if we had the tools my sense is that there would be increased trust um, and a significant reduction in anxiety. One of, one of the things, and I do a lot of speaking and writing about anxiety at work, one of the things we know is that people feel anxiety when they don't know where they stand, right? When they don't know how they are measuring up against goals, when they don't know how people feel about them, when they don't know their, their status in the organization, when they don't have a sense of certainty, that causes a tremendous amount of anxiety, and anxiety has physical benefit, uh, physical harms, relationship harms, psychological harms. Um, and the more we create a culture of feedback where it is understood, agreed upon, and invited, right? That I'm going to be regularly telling you what you're doing well, what you could be doing differently, and you're going to be doing the same for me. Um, it just becomes you know, a regular part of our daily diet, as opposed to something that happens twice a year where we have to really, you know, screw our courage to the sticking spot to get through that conversation. Yeah. And it's often, um, you know, when I'm working with people in human resources, they're saying, oh, we're still waiting for our performance appraisals to be completed um, before we know what our training needs are for the rest of the year. Yeah. And often there's huge delays in that because managers keep putting off these conversations about underperformance or different challenges. So I'm also a mediator as well. So we talk about mm. conflict as well. And sometimes things grow legs in terms of issues that could have been dealt with quite easily if they had the conversation at the right time. Oh, absolutely. We, you know, with with the, the training I do and the coaching I do, we are often dealing with issues that have metastasized, right? That really have just let grow. And then um, you are dealing with something that is uh, bigger, more burdensome, has impacted other people's performance in a way that that could have been prevented. So when I think about my pandemic reading, one of the books that I read over the last year that really resonated for me was a book called Upstream by Dan Heath. So you may be familiar with Chip and Dan yeah. Heath, who've written a lot of right um, behavioral economics books. And so this one was just by Dan Heath, not just Dan, you are plenty, uh, but was by Dan Heath. And basically the idea behind it is we are so habituated to throw a whole bunch of resources into downstream problems, problems that could have, were seen earlier, could have been prevented, should have been handled earlier, that now we are throwing a whole bunch of resources into downstream problems rather than dealing with them when they were upstream, when they were smaller, manageable, and preventable. And I think feedback uh, and difficult conversations often becomes a downstream issue when it really could have been handled upstream uh, when it was smaller and more manageable. It's a bit like what my grandmother used to tell me. Uh, Nana Turl used to say a stitch in time saves nine. Absolutely. Know. Yes. Yes. Why, why do managers then, you know, why did they 
procrastinate on these difficult conversations? What's the fear behind that? Yeah. So the way that I think about it is um, what is it getting them? Right. So we are all animals and um, we behave in ways that serve us, even if they also cost us. Right. So when you think about why you don't bring something up, why you don't engage in a in a you know potentially challenging or hard conversation, hard for one of you, hard for both of you, you got to start by thinking about, well, what am I getting from it? So you're getting psycho you know, psychological or emotional safety. So for as long as we're not having a hard conversation, I feel safe. Um, it buys you some time to figure out what do I want to say? How do I want to say it? And maybe if I'm lucky, somebody else will have the conversation so I don't have to deal with it. Uh, it buys you, I, you know, the, the favorite thing it buys me is for as long as I am not bringing up a tough topic with you, I get to be right about it, like 100% right. And the second I expose my thinking to you, there is a possibility, I mean, rare as it may be, but there's a possibility that I may not be completely right. And that's hard, right? That's hard to find out that we were not totally right. So there are a lot of good reasons, good psychological reasons for why we avoid these conversations. Um, and so for as long as we are, in the habit of self-protection, we avoid. The second we reach out towards somebody, we risk us not knowing what to say. We risk finding out that we weren't totally right. We risk having to be open to somebody else's perspective. We risk the fact that somebody will be hurt. We risk the fact that we won't know how they are gonna react. We risk the fact that we know exactly how we're gonna react and we haven't handled that before in the past. We risk a whole bunch of things and we tend to forget that most of us have been in those situations before with colleagues, with family members, and we've all survived them, right? I'm here today because I've survived 100% of awful conversations I've had, but we have a really short memory when we're feeling anxious. Yeah, so it seems to me like there's lots of biases, those cognitive biases at play, like you know, confirmation bias and, and all these various different things, availability heuristics where we're just going into the most recent experience that we had, you know, so this is all that's going around, around in our heads. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. So it is, it is very much a head game. And I don't know about you, William, I am brilliant at convincing myself of anything I need to convince myself of, right? Yeah. I've really mastered that skill. How about you? I'm wonderful at it, if I'm honest. Yes, thank you. Right. So we're great at it. And so we can apply that genius to any kind of conversation and convince ourselves why we don't need to have it, why we don't need to have it now, why we don't need to have it with that person. Um, you know, we're most of us are really skilled at that. So I'm, I'm going to put on uh, my very, you know, um, critique fast now. So if I'm a finance director listening yeah. to this, I might frame it to the finance directors listening in to say, well, instead of framing it as a cost, how do we frame it as an opportunity? So there's an opportunity cost to having that typical conversation. And when you do the cost benefit analysis, mm -hmm. it seems like there's more benefits or opportunities coming from a difficult conversation rather than the perceived cost or mm -hmm. pain involved. Would, you, would that be a way of framing it for people listening in? Yeah, there are tremendous benefits to having difficult conversations, especially ones where people are are understanding where they stand and have information about what they can be doing better, right, to, to achieve business results. So the the research certainly shows that there, there are, are phys, physiological and psychological benefits to, to cultures that are high in feedback, where people are regularly giving and receiving. And this includes everything from, you know, enhanced job satisfaction, lower rates of burnout, uh, more physical immunity, which I think most of us would like right about now, um, uh, you know, greater engagement on the job. Those, those really come from the fact that when you are getting feedback, you know that you matter. Right. And at the end of the day, we all want to know that we matter. So if you're somebody is noticing what I'm doing, it must mean that I matter. Um, and when you think about it from a from a business perspective, if you do not 
give me feedback on what I'm doing well and what I'm not doing well, I'm going to just make assumptions, which is, you know what? Um, if nobody's saying anything, I must be fine. Right. Or the assumption I can make is if nobody says anything, nobody actually really cares about what I'm doing so I can get away with whatever I want. Uh, but there are, yeah, the, the business benefits are huge. The interpersonal benefits are huge of why we should be giving feedback early and often so people know what to continue and what to not continue. Um, and then also to create that invitation that if you're the feedback giver, you also want to ask for feedback as well. I, I I give workshops on this myself in terms of giving feedback, you know, and it, it's funny. I, I'll give you a funny moment that we just had there in terms of body language and facial expressions. But it, it's funny. It, it's people who actively seek feedback. I remember reading a Harvard Business Review article that people who actively seek that are actually more confident. And there's a correlation between that and performance and job success or career success. Yes, yes. And I, I think the research shows that it's people who actively seek out feedback, particularly negative feedback, right? Mm. Particularly the feedback that says, what could I be doing differently to be more effective? Those people, their careers tend to skyrocket. And it's funny, it is that double-edged sword, right? So I'm not sure about what it's like in North America there, right? In Ireland, if we get a compliment, we tend to minimize that straight away. All right, so if somebody says I had a lovely, you know, uh, shirt on, I may go, oh, sure, I just got this cheaply in a, in a shop or something yes. like that. You know, we tend not to take a compliment. And then if I'm getting negative feedback, then I'm like, whatever you do, don't tell me. I don't want to know. I prefer not to, yeah. prefer to, have, yeah. prefer to have the blind spot. Yeah, so there's, there's definitely a cultural nuance around that. So I've often heard what you're describing um, called the tall poppy syndrome. Right. So yeah. the idea of like, you don't want to be the tall poppy in the field. So anything that brings attention to the fact that you're the tall poppy in the field, you got to slice them all down. Right. Um, and so I, there are a lot of cultural nuances that have to do with that. Women tend to minimize more than men do. People from certain cultures that are more collectivist don't want to take individual credit, you know, for things there. That's its own our podcast right there. Yeah. Um, and I'm sure there are people who are more expert about that, that than I am. Um, and, you know, one of, one of the things that I uh, work with the leaders that I coach on is accepting that positive feedback uh, with dignity, right? So manage your body language. I had gotten feedback once that when I get a piece of positive feedback, my hands go to my cheeks to like hide the fact that I'm blushing. And that is not, that doesn't really demonstrate executive presence. The fact that I have to cover my face. So I'm working on my body language and, you know, William, I'm more than happy to practice with you. If you just want to give me tons of positive feedback, I will, I'll take one for the team here, but, uh, you know, and you're doing you a fantastic job just to give it give you that oh this you know. old thing please i've talked about this topic a million times oh see i gotta get better at it and, but, and if you and if people could only you know see her office and how she has presented herself today so professionally you know you everybody would be quite impressed as well if we we're doing yeah, this on video yes thank you oh this office please i got all this stuff on sale all right so this is what we do right we minimize and if you are if you here's the way that i often describe it you know william if i were going to give you a piece of positive feedback, right? And I say, William, you know, I really love the way that you are creating a, a, a conversation for us to talk about something that we care about. And you go, oh no, there are people who are so much better. That is the equivalent of me giving you a present and you saying, I don't want that present, yeah. right? It's putting it right back in my hands. And then I feel awkward. I feel uncomfortable. And so when somebody gives you a piece of positive feedback, it is a gift accept it. If you want to re-gift it privately later, feel free, but accept it the way that you would handle a gift that somebody gave you and then use that positive feedback and find out, are there other people who need to get better at this, who maybe I could help, right? I'm so glad you think I'm doing a good job. Who else needs to do a good job at this? Could I be helpful to them? Um, and really take it as an opportunity to celebrate and then also grow it. And we also talked about, you know, giving that feedback directly then to that person, whether it's positive or negative. I remember a couple of years ago, I had a manager 
that said, I'm telling you this because I care. Mm -hmm. This is not easy for me to say, William, I think if you take on this feedback, you will do amazing things in your career. Yeah. And you know what? It wasn't easy to hear, but, but I, but I, but I took it on board and I, and I did it, you know, and I think there's a lot in that in terms of recognizing the positive intent that nobody likes giving negative feedback. Absolutely. And I'm going to, I'm going to take that and I'm going to ratchet it up one, which is to start the conversation rather than needing to assume positive intent, start your conversation by saying your positive intent, right? I want to give you this piece of feedback because I care about you. I want to give you this piece of feedback because I want you, I really want to help you advance your career. I want to give you this piece of feedback because I think you could be having an easier time with clients and I want to help you make your, your life easier. Um, or I want to, you know, prevent you from making a mistake that I made early in my role, say it out loud, uh, rather than hope the other person intuits it. Yeah. And it is, it does frame the message then, and then the message can land that you want rather than this, uh, amygdala hijack that happens where we suddenly have this kind of like, oh no, what are they going to say? Or, you know, cause there's nothing worse than someone to say, well, I don't want you to get stressed, but yeah. Oh, I... right, right. Yeah my my daughter uh, my daughter Sophie wrote a book as a teenager called "Don't Tell Me to Relax," and it's about anxiety. Like the worst thing you could do to somebody who's stressing out is say, "Don't stress." Um, and one thing that I think is is really important for us to keep in mind is it is our obligation to learn how to give feedback helpfully and constructively, and we cannot control another person's reaction, right? And so I'll often hear the leaders I work with say, well, I don't want that person to be upset. Guess what you don't have control over? You barely have control over your ability to manage whether you get upset. I promise you, you can't, you know, change how somebody else is going to react. There is so much history, so much culture, so much stuff that is already loaded into their system before you've ever opened your mouth. Don't let, I don't want to upset them be the reason that you don't speak up and positively contribute to their career. So, you know, this brings me to a point then. So I use a certain word. And when I use that word, your facial expression changed completely. So do you remember me using the word critique? And you went, oh, and I could see your, 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 your eyes popped a little bit. going to go, oh, what's coming next? And this brings me to the point, as I was saying earlier on then, was, you know, don't get stressed, but I've a difficult conversation to have with you. It's that whole language that you using earlier on in terms of nonviolent communication. Mm. What you were doing was you, instead of using the word judgmental, you were using the word evaluative so people could actually hear that message. And I think it's really important for us to highlight that or what are the language patterns people have that might be unhelpful in terms of when they're having these difficult conversations in the workplace? Yeah, so a couple of things to keep an eye and ear out for. There's probably 30, but two, two come to mind and I have a feeling by the time I get to the second one, I will have forgotten the second one. But the okay. first thing, right, the first thing that comes to mind around language is um, that you want your feedback to be focused on behavior and task rather than personality and character. So think about the difference between me saying, you know, William, uh, I want to I want to share with you that your client follow up is taking too long. I'd like you to follow up with clients within 24 hours rather than you know 48 hours. Client follow up is about a behavior or a task as opposed to William. I think you're being lazy when it comes to client follow up. How dare you! Right, I know. I know, right? So the first one is about behavior and the second one is a character assassination. And so thinking about things like 
rude, thoughtless, lazy, unprofessional, right? I'll often have people give feedback that says, you know, that's unprofessional. And I'll say, well, that's pretty damaging feedback because it's about some, you framed it as about somebody's character or you're really negative as opposed to, I noticed that when I offer an idea, you immediately tell me why it won't work. And here's the impact it has on me as opposed to you're always so negative. So that's one bucket of language distinction is to focus on the behavior and task rather than critique somebody's personality or character, because that's a bell you can't unring. And then the second is to be really clear about what you are describing. So I have this list of words that I, I bring to training and coaching on feedback, which are Words we think everybody means the same thing about, but nobody actually understands what it means. So we might say to somebody, you need to communicate better. Uh, okay, right? What does that actually mean? Does that mean that I need to have shorter emails? Does that mean that I need to um, inform you before you hear it from your boss? What does communicate better mean? We'll also, also hear people say, I need you to be more proactive. I need you to be more innovative. Right. These are words that when you give them in the context of feedback, nobody actually knows what you are describing. And so you need to boil it down to what are you specifically asking somebody to do? Right. So think about it from the context of a, you know, a personal relationship. If you were to say to your friend or to your partner, right, you know, you need to communicate more with me. They're likely to say, I communicate with you all the time but you have two different pictures of what communicate means. I think that's a, a you know, a really important point to make because I was just thinking about the weekend, right? I was with my son, right? And it's funny when you put a negative towards something, all they hear is what you don't want them to hear. So I said, don't close the door, you know, to leave it open, you know? And I meant to say, leave the door open. So it's the same intent when you're under stress, people hear it very differently. So we were in a rush yes. to go to to hurling training or football training at the weekend. Sorry, that's our national sport in Ireland. And again, in terms, I just have to put the context there. Very important for communication, isn't it? Yes. Uh, yes. And, and again, I just realized, oh, I could have communicated differently to my son, Danny. You know, yep. so again, it's 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 when we're when we're in a rush or when we're in a hurry or when we're stressed, it's about using language that the people can hear as well so they know what to do the action that we want rather than what we don't want absolutely that's that's really helpful and i'm thinking about the you know i'm thinking about the conversation you described with your son right the even the difference between um remember to leave the door open which is behavioral and positive versus you know you need to be more thoughtful when we leave the house what what are you asking me to do differently right? What do you want? I, I am thinking about the house, right? So often I'll say to people, don't ask them to do invisible things, right? Be yeah. more thoughtful, be more considerate, plan better. Those are invisible things. Ask them to do visible things so that you know if it's happening. And I'm, I'm going to segue back to kind of CEOs and senior leaders now, if that's okay. So we're yeah. going to talk about gossip and, and toxic culture, and it, it, it's just while I have you on the line, I might as well, you know, make get an observation from you is some people, and I find this hilarious sometimes when I go to coaching sessions, is they say, I was told by my managers I should have more executive presence. That's mm -hmm. it. Yep. Nothing more. Yep. And I'm like, executive presence probably has around 36 different components in it, from what I yeah. remember. <laughs> Yeah, so would you tell me more about that? Because it's just something. I am literally just kicking off with a client this month who was given that exact feedback. And I said, you know, tell me what that means from your perspective and the perspective of your manager. And this client said, I have no idea. I said, well, that's our first, that's our first piece of homework, right? Is we've got to find out what the behaviors and impact are behaviors and associated impact are that that we're looking to develop here uh, because it is one of those things that means so many things like communication or proactive or thoughtful or professional that it means nothing hmm. and that brings me into and thank you for that segue into ceo then 
a mm-hmm. feedback channels because sometimes we talk about gossip in the workplace the reason why we do it is we want to sometimes and you talk about this back channeling is we hope that a ceo has an ear to the ground so if there is something that's not liked in terms of an organization change they might roll back a little bit or you know maybe not put a focus on that that project fizzles out or or something like that you know so can you tell me a little bit about that because sometimes in a toxic workplace there's psychological safety there's fears going on but say well maybe this is the way we do things is is through back channeling so you know can you tell me a little bit about that yeah so i don't I don't think I have an answer to a really deep, you know, systemic issue, yeah. but what you are what you are describing is a vicious cycle, right? We do things yeah. through back channeling, which leads to a, a workplace where we don't have psychological safety. And if we don't have psychological safety, guess what we need to do? We need to do back channeling, right? Yeah. And so the 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 system and the dynamic really plays off each other. And people who are feeling vulnerable and threatened will do what they need to do to protect themselves, even if it has costs, right? So even going back to our original conversation of, if I don't if I don't have a hard conversation with you, I get to be right for as long as I'm the only yeah. keeper of the data. Um, so we do what we need to do to protect ourselves, which doesn't make it healthy. And that, there's a responsibility then on the CEO then and the people in charge to say, listen, I'm putting myself out there this is vulnerable here. I need to put myself in front of certain people, get feedback from them, and then we role model this. So there is a certain uh, bit of role modeling that needs to happen in the workplace for this uh, culture of learning to happen. Oh, my goodness. I mean, that saying, William, I'm sure you and I have both heard it a million times, right? It starts at the top. That is for real. It absolutely starts at the top. And I've often said to the leaders I coach, you should assume, you know, if you if you picture the scenario where there's somebody on the stage, but it's a giant plenary where their their face is being broadcast on huge screens, you should assume that everything you say, everything you do, every flicker of your eyebrow is on one of those giant magnified screens if you are the leader. And people are watching and listening for what you do and don't do, say and don't say, so they know how to proceed. And I think that's really important is is what you don't say could be me or what you don't do. It can be have more impact than what you do say. Yep. And what and what the unspeakables are. Right. Right. When we know with this leader, we don't bring up X. We don't talk about Y. Uh, we don't address Z. That becomes the what you don't speak of becomes the loudest noise in the room. So, so it is. There is some sort of thing that needs to happen from the top then to stop that culture of gossip going on yes. in the workplace. Yes. So, you know, one of my favorite sayings is, "If you have a problem with me, come to me first. Right. Yeah. And so, I think a leader of an organization should live by that. If you have a problem with me, come to me first, and then you can't punish people for doing what you've invited them to do. Um, and I will share I, this story strikes me as both very funny and completely self-serving. But I'm going to throw it out there anyway, mostly for the funny part uh, rather than the self-serving part. But I was speaking with the leader of an organization uh, probably about a year ago, and about doing some development work, uh, professional development work, and he said to me. Before you work with our organization, there's an article that I want you to read because it is it is the value system by which we run our organization. If you're going to work with us, you need to know this. And he sent me the article, and it was the article I wrote for Harvard Business Review, the one that you and I are talking about today, right? Wow. How to stop gossiping at work. And he said to me, he goes, I want you to read it, and I want you to really understand, like, this is how we run things around here. And I was like, yeah, I wrote it, which was the first time that ever happened. And he was um, he was shocked and I was equally as shocked uh, that we were having this conversation. But it was a very, in addition to me feeling incredibly flattered and then realizing I have zero name recognition when it comes to this article, I also realized like if there is something that you want to be a part of the culture, you as the leader need to share it. You need to reinforce it. You need to announce it. You need to behave that way. You need to hire for it, evaluate for it, fire for it, all of those things, which can be a tall order, but start somewhere. 
And would say, for example, I see this in my team, right? So, yeah. you know, so we say some someone like we were saying before um, is a social butterfly, you know, and sometimes if there's like after a meeting that this back chat would happen, says, well, what'd you make of that meeting? Oh, that was mm-hmm. terrible. Or they're looking for that confirmation uh, expedition, I think that you call it. Yes, confirmation you know, expedition. They go around yeah. the houses trying to say, what, what do you think of that? Am I right? Yeah. Yeah. Yes. I, so, so this is a place where intention really matters, right? So a confirmation expedition would be, you know, William, if I had a problem with you, but I went to everybody other than you to say like, William's a pain, right? It's not just me. It's William, right? So, so uh, when I talk to people about stopping having these confirmation expeditions, right? Go to the person you have an issue with rather than rather than everybody else, I say, look, if in fact you are going to go to another person to talk about William, number one, it should be somebody who has a really, really good working relationship with William, right? Yeah. And the goal of that conversation should be, I recognize that I'm doing something that isn't getting the best out of William. I know that you have a great working relationship with him. Could you give me some advice on how I can work more effectively with William? That's not what we do. What we tend to do is go to this person's foes rather than friends to confirm that we are right and they are wrong and they are difficult and they are a pain. So if you are going to go confirm something, go to somebody who can help you get better at it. And if you are the recipient of a a confirmation expedition, so people come to you and say, oh my goodness, they're the worst, aren't they? Your response could be, how can I help you? How can I help you? How can I support you through this? How would you like to brainstorm together? I'm not here just to evaluate. I'm here to generate. And do people do the gossip then just to vent sometimes? So is it it, like, because there's part of me kind of going, are we suppressing conversations where it's just a natural event? How do we know the difference between a vent and a gossip? Like is gossip malicious or a vent is just an emotional expression? Because I've often been in the case where I'd be saying, oh, gossip is bad and it's toxic and it creates that toxic culture and it creates all types of tension and conflict. So where's the line between malicious gossip and an emotional event? Yeah. So I don't think all gossip is bad at all. I think when gossip takes the place of giving somebody some helpful feedback, you're moving in the wrong direction. Mm. Um, And and again, like so many other things, I, I want people to think about their intent, right? Is the intent of this conversation to make you feel better at the expense of somebody else? Are you talking about something that is, you know, potentially fixable, addressable, solvable. If so, go talk to them. Um, And then you also really want to think about the nature of what you're talking about. I mean, if you are talking about things that are, you know, potentially could be psychologically really harmful to somebody, if you're at work and talking about, I just saw something uh, on Facebook yesterday that I love that says, you know, we're all about to be back together in person um, and we will notice that people's bodies will have changed. And you know what we're going to say about it? Not an effing thing, right? And the effing was spelled out, but, uh, you know, this yeah. is a polite podcast, right? Thank you. So <laughs> you're welcome. So I, I want your son to be able to listen to the podcast. So the idea behind that is if it is something where you really should not be talking about it at all, somebody's weight, somebody's, you know, uh, challenge that they're having with their marriage, somebody who's, you know, undergoing a, a substance issue or something like that. If it's something that is personal and private and the goal of the conversation is not to provide help and resources to somebody, but it's really just to, you know, spin around, maybe make yourself feel better or feel like you're a part of the in-group, I would invite you to check yourself. At the end of the day, You've got to live with yourself. I can't tell you what to do. I can offer some things to consider. And it's funny, I, I, uh, there's a, a, a person that might be listening into this, uh, a coach called Paul Smith. And I remember some, one time before uh, somebody was engaging in, you know, negative commentary, you know, and he just goes, slippery slope, as if we'll all go down the slippery slope. Ah. But it's just going to lead to nowhere. 
And it's just a way to that pattern interrupt and everybody just changes the conversation. And it's brilliant. Yeah. Slippery slope. I think yeah. it's just a wonderful oh, way that. of, yes, yeah, so because it, where is it going? It's going nowhere, the conversation. Yeah, you know, right. So, and is it lifting anybody up, right? Is this, this is lifting it. anybody up? And if the answer is no, think about what you might be able to do with that time and energy because people need lifting up. Yeah, and it is. I think I like that um, phrase, say, check yourself. So like, you know, how to cross that line between an event, uh, you know, like event, an emotional event and gossip. I think if if you're going down that slippery slope, it's check yourself to say, actually, is this going to be productive? Yeah. You know, yeah. or is it just fueling the fire of whatever that negative emotion that we have? Yeah. And I think there's a difference between am I going to feel better about this after this conversation versus am I going to feel better about myself? Right. So I might have a like a nice, you know, rich gossip sesh where it feels really good and, you know, juicy and that sort of thing. So I might feel better, but I'm not going to feel better about myself. And then the other thing is you might feel better, but what about the person that's just listened to you? Yeah. You know, yeah. I've often been in that place where I've, I'm, I'm such a good listener sometimes that I don't interrupt people or I don't go, okay, that's okay. And I'm very, very empathetic to the person, uh, but may not have a boundary. So I think there's a, an element there for people who approach you, you know, is for yourself to have boundaries yeah. over gossip. So could you give us some advice about that, that those, those boundary pieces? Uh, so, well, first of all, you sort of have just, planted a third question in my head, right? So one is, am I going to feel better? The second is, am I going to feel better about myself? And the third is, you know, will other people feel better about me as a result of this? Like, will this reflect yeah. well on me? Um, which you get to think about. So the question is, so what do you do when somebody comes to you and wants to gossip? Yeah. There's a whole range of things that you can do from, you know, um, that's just not something I'm comfortable talking about, but thank you for thinking of me. Um, and, you know, I sometimes will say, is this something you have discussed with her? Right. So I'll just sort of cut it off. Um, yeah. Is this something you've discussed with her? Are you planning to discuss with her? I will sort of put up the um, I'm happy to talk to you about them. And how can I be most helpful here? Right. How can I be most productive here um and so sort of by creating some boundaries around what feels like productive conversation and destructive conversation or you know or even to say i'm you know i'm just not not comfortable talking about somebody who isn't here to you know defend themselves so it's a bit like you know that you know the uh, speech patterns that we we're talking about earlier on you have to send it those subconscious embedded commands where you're kind of going how can i be productive here how can i be helpful here so it's yeah. really I suppose, setting your stall out to say, if we're going to have a conversation, it's going to be positive, it's going to be productive, or it's going to be a listening year with the aim to support you. That's right. And so, well, you know, if you think about it from a coaching perspective, you and I probably often start our conversations with, you know, what would you like to be clearer about at the end of this conversation? Somebody comes to you to gossip about somebody and just say, like, what would you like to be clearer about? Right. And if they're like, oh, well, how much I really hate them, I'm out. I don't think I can help you with that. You seem pretty clear. Uh, but, you know, to sort of guide them that this is going to be a, a productive, you know, conversation with a with a hopefully a productive outcome. That's yeah. a that's a good way to do it. Yeah. And that's what I often say in my coaching conversations. What outcome would you like today or what are your key takeaways that you'd like uh, from today? And yeah. that is bringing us to a lovely segue now is. We're coming to the end of our podcast soon. No! <laughs> I know, I know. It's been wonderful having you today. So I'm going to give you an opportunity here to give our audience some key takeaways then from today. So if gossip is happening in the workplace, where do we go next? What do we do? Yeah. Um, so first of all, you know, make, a, make some distinctions between the kind of gossip that is you know, pro-social, people connecting, people reconnecting, especially after the year we've had, and gossip that is really masking as feedback that needs to be given and that isn't given. Uh, and of course, before you talk to anybody else about their behavior, you got to 
uh, check yourself first, right? So before I give anybody feedback about what they're doing, I go, oh, could they point right at me and say, well, you're doing that too. So I need to take care of that as well. Um, be mindful that all of us have very good reasons that we can justify for why not to have a hard conversation with somebody. And in the long run, most of that costs us more than it gains us um, in terms of the kinds of uh, cultures and organizations that we want to have. And the only way to get better at giving and receiving feedback is by giving and receiving feedback. So um, it, it's the sort of thing where there is plenty of training available, right? William, you said that this is work that you do. This is work that I do. There's training, there's coaching, there's online, there's plenty of books. It is something to get better at because if you are in the world of work, it is something that you are going to uh, need to do for the rest of your career. Thank you so much for that. And Deb, if people were to contact you then, because I know you're quite active on social media and to your website, which is, there's some wonderful uh, LinkedIn posts, especially there. How might they do so? Yes. So please find me on LinkedIn, uh, which is Deborah Grayson Regal, uh, D-E-B-O-R-A-H. G-R-A-Y-S-O-N-R-I-E-G-E-L. And I make a case about that, not just one because the spelling can be tricky, but um, I have two sisters-in-laws who share parts of my names. So my one sister-in-law is Deborah Regal. My other sister-in-law is Deborah Grayson. So I want you to find me. I'll be the picture in the, in the purple jacket. Uh, and you are welcome to come visit my website at www.debragraysonregal.com. Com. Um, and I would say those are probably the best ways to reach me unless you want to send me something with chocolate in it. And then, you know, just I'll give you my home address. That is wonderful. You never know. I might be sending you chocolates after today. I would love it. So, Deborah, thank you so much for coming on to the workplace. It was so insightful for both me and our listeners. Thank you so much for inviting me. I hope we get to do this again. Oh, I'd love that. Thank you. That's it for this episode of the Workplace Podcast. My special thanks to this week's guest for a wonderful discussion. If you want to get in contact with a podcast about a workplace topic or a particular challenge that you're facing, contact me via Twitter at Different Paths. You can also connect with me on LinkedIn, William Corless, C-O-R-L-E-S-S, or go to my website, www.yellowwood.ie. Yellowwood your external learning and development partner, provider executive coaching, facilitation, and training. Take a different path to success with your career, leadership, team, and organization. <laughs>